Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey, Seattle Kraken podcast. Got a really fun episode here, RJ. I'm always excited when we get to do a mailbag episode and answer everybody's questions. And we got so many. I think this is probably the most questions we've ever gotten when we've opened things up for be. a mailbag. Yeah, so many questions. So thanks. I just want to start this off before even getting into the ad read, right? Just want to thank everybody for participating and sending in so many awesome questions. Can't wait to get into them all uh, in just a, a couple minutes here. Uh, first, of course, though, got to start off thanking Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring this podcast, just like they do all season long. February's almost over, RJ. I just need to know, have you gotten in and got your hunk of burnin' love burger, the monthly burger for February from the beer hall yet? Because you've only got a couple days left, everybody. I know. I, I need to go in and try this burger. I mean, like, they're so creative with this food. Look, it's got candied bacon, fried jalapeno coins, aioli fuego, pepper jack cheese, and a double smash burger. I mean, like, th that's pretty cool. It's it's pretty good. I mean, you had me at candied bacon. That's probably the only thing I eat off of it because I'm such a picky who, who eater. Has, but... <laughs> who has a burger with candied bacon on it? Uh, the, the, the Queen Anne Beer Hall. And leap year rj you've got a whole extra day to try to get in there and enjoy that burger so just just That's letting right. everybody know check that out at either the two queen and beer hall locations um also want to remind everybody that rj's armchair gm stream over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey will be happening wednesday this wednesday the 28th at 7 p.m really excited for that it's the it's the pre-trade deadline armchair gm stream if you've got questions you know heading into the trade deadline and you didn't ask them here today as part of the mailbag you can definitely ask them there on that stream and and here's some of uh maybe the interesting stuff that you guys always come up with when you're doing that armchair gm stream there's always fun shenanigans you get up to oh for sure lots of great ideas from everybody and you know we'll, we'll cover some deadline related stuff of course in this mailbag as everyone wants to know about but we'll have a chance to really do a deeper dive on it take a look at the short and long-term salary cap implications as well i can't wait it's going to be the best one of the year yes definitely definitely so i want to remind everybody about that over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey and then just like a quick programming note so this last post-game live that we did, and we're recording this before the Boston game here on Monday. Like, it's Monday, we're recording this before the Boston game. So the last game we did was, uh, we had a post-game live for, was after the Minnesota loss. And a lot of that conversation, most of the conversation had in that um, post-game live chat was about the future of the Kraken and the ideas of doing like a full rebuild or the ways in which you could take and, and develop a strong core and a Stanley Cup winning core and all of this stuff. And it was all very long-term looks at everything and lots of debate about whether or not that would be the best direction for the team to go in. And there was a lot of conversation around that. We do want to be a part of that conversation. We recognize that a lot of the community wants to be a part of that conversation. We're going to be doing like a deep dive into that next week on the podcast. We had already set it up to have this week be the mailbag, so we can't talk about it here. We wouldn't be doing it. It's, you know, it's due if we just kind of shoehorned it in as like a five minute conversation before the mailbag stuff. So next week, we're going to be doing that whole kind of future of the Kraken you know, exploring the ideas of a rebuild, the pros and, and the cons of it. I think we'll, we might be leaning heavily into the cons of it just to give everybody a heads up. Um, but we will do that next week on the podcast. So just, just want to put that out there. We're not going to be talking about that stuff today as part of the mailbag, but we will talk about it next week. All right. And then uh, real quick before the mailbag, RJ, news and notes. I know it's a light, light day for that. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, hey, everyone's still healthy. That's good news. Yep. Uh, we do have a little bit of a lineup change. Um, Andre Burakovsky and Oliver Bjorkstrand kind of swapped spots uh, in the lineup this morning. Uh, we've got Bjorkstrand going to be with Schwartz and Wenberg, and you have Burakovsky with Tolvanen and Gord. Uh, so that's a, a little bit of a change there. Hackstall, I asked him about it. He said the, the switch is kind of to spark a little more offense. And he did point out, he said, we've been getting some really good play out of Berkey right now. The puck's not going in the net, but we want his level of play to continue. So I think Burakovsky's down there to kind of try and spark a, a third line that for the first time in a long time, it kind of gotten a little stale, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've we've certainly talked about that on a couple of post games now, um, that, that Yanni Gord line maybe just not quite having it. And then the second line, just because of the offensive struggles with Berkey, I'm with you. I don't think he's even played that bad. Like, I really like what we've seen from Berkey, but... The production's just not there. Like he's just not able to to get it going. Uh, and that second line has also kind of cooled off a little bit here. Really, that Maddie line has been carrying a lot of the load recently. So I I like this from Coach Hackstall, right? Just just shake it up a little bit, see if you get people going. Because if the Kraken get two lines going, RJ, I feel like that makes a big difference for them. Yeah, definitely. And and Hackstall pointed out, you know, the the middle six, those two lines hadn't really generated a ton on the score sheet even though they might have been playing okay in Berkey's case. So I think it's a good idea to spark some offense. It's just what you want the coach doing, right? You know, making little tweaks as necessary. So eager to see it tonight against Boston. Definitely looking forward to that. That is the end of news and notes. Again, it's good because it means there's no injury, stuff like that. So ha definitely happy about that. And now we can get on to the mailbag, RJ. We can, we can start answering all of the listeners' questions. I'm really excited for this. Where are we starting? We are starting with uh, three questions, actually, from Shannon, who left us a very nice note, by the way. Very Got your kind. email with these questions. Yes. Very, very kind email. So wanted to start off with these three. And also because it's you know kind of from the perspective of a newer hockey fan. And we love this kind of stuff. We love answering these questions. So let's kick it off right here with the first one. Uh, wondering what the process is when, for example, a player is called up from Coachella Valley with no clear estimate of how long they might be with the team. Seems like they can be needed by the team ASAP. Does the team give them a residence? How do they deal with things like access to a car or any belongings they might need? What if they have a dog? Might just be me, but it seems like the ability to be with other players or someone related to the team might be very beneficial. Now, I mean, you're right. It certainly is beneficial. And the team does take care. They don't just say, you know, it's it's all you're on your own. Uh, there is a system for dealing with this. And Dylan, uh, you pointed out actually before we started recording that Dan Bilesma even talked about this. You got to experience this when you had Shane Wright and Ryan Winterton called up earlier this season. Yeah, it just happened that I was in Coachella Valley the day that they were called up and everything. So on the Coachella Valley side of things, uh, the process comes in, you know, the organization makes the move earlier in the day. Um, they, they come down, you know, they'll contact, um, the the firebirds a lot of times they contact dan which i was a little surprised about that a lot of this kind of gets gets contacted to him he gets to put in his two cents and, and all that and then he goes and he contacts the players and he lets them know that you know what the situation is um he he tells them what's up um sometimes he'll pass that then off to a different member of the team that's just going to have like you know the the travel details like, okay, your flight leaves at this time. You need to be at the airport here, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, but that's, that's kind of the process on the Coachella Valley side of things. As for like, if they have a pet or something like that, all of the guys like live with somebody, right? They, they're either living with a significant other or uh, in 
vast majority of the case, they live with teammates. So if they have a pet, you know, odds are both guys who happen to be living together aren't being called up at the same time. There's still somebody to take care of the pet. And if, even if there wasn't, I'm telling you that Coachella Valley Firebirds, like organization is such a family. Somebody would a thousand percent step up and, and do that for them uh, for however long they were they were gone once then they get on the plane they come up to seattle we now know this uh, a little bit from say like training camp uh when they had shane Wright up that was a big deal and we kind of learned a lot about how the kraken kind of handle that process through him um they give you know they basically set up the the players in a hotel uh it'll be a nice hotel and it's gonna be a hotel that has like a kitchen to it and stuff like that um but but they are set up in a hotel sometimes the younger guys or if, if they happen to already have friends on the team they can stay with with team members uh shane wright was started off in a hotel and then eventually moved in with ryan donato and his fiance i believe at the time she was yep um and so we we know how that setup kind of works and then he can you know the player can carpool with them but i'm also you know sure they they we know nhl players get a per diem they get travel expenses all that kind of stuff so handling cars getting around the city all that stuff it's all taken care of for them yeah it, it's a pretty good uh, setup they've got going for them and again it's a tight-knit group guys are always eager especially veteran players are eager to help out younger guys yeah. coming into the league especially for those short call-ups and and also you know they've, they've got like pr and the the team staff that you know if they have an issue if they have a question they can always go to them uh to kind of help take care of them so good question there because yeah a lot of people you know it, it's not obvious right the logistics mm. of how all that stuff works uh when a player gets called up uh, on to the second question. Uh, what additional sorts of things can a newish observer do to better gain an increased understanding of play development, how players in different positions approach their work, and what sorts of things the players and coaches are thinking about when a shift is developing or happening on the ice? I feel like I've learned a great deal in the last couple of years, but sadly, the more I learn, the more I see just how much I do not yet know. Uh, and you know what? That's a That's a common thing with really anything in this world, right? The more you learn, uh, the more questions that you're left with. Um, and I mean, the, the first thing I can think of, too, and, and, you know, Dylan, you and I, we kind of watch the game in different ways, I think, you know, you've got like that scouting perspective. But th the best advice I got early on was kind of watch the stuff away from the puck. Mm -hmm. when you're watching a hockey game and it helps even just to kind of follow one player around for an entire shift. You know, the eye naturally gravitates toward the puck when you're watching. Um, but if you kind of just follow one player around and see what they're doing and the decisions it looks like they're making and, you know, ask plenty of questions too. Okay. Well, why did he go over to that side of the ice? You know, why did he make that pass? Why did he not choose to make that pass? You know, that's one thing that's helped me a lot is just kind of looking away from the puck. Yeah, looking away from the puck is perfect. And I love that you mentioned just following one player because then you'll really get to understand kind of a more you'll have a more complete picture of the game and, and really what any individual role can be within the sport of hockey. Uh, because depending on what player you choose to watch, they could be doing a lot of different things. Sometimes you might be watching, say, Alexander Wenberg and his role for that game is to try to shut down the top player on the other team. That's a pretty common role he has uh, in this group. And you'll see how he works defensively and a lot of that. And then if you watch another game where his role is to be more offensive, you can then see how his game completely changes from one game to another and you can kind of follow that journey and you'll learn a lot about how they work away from the puck how they work defensively how they work offensively to try to find space find gaps open up passing lanes for each other all of that stuff kind of comes about uh when you really just kind of zero in on one guy because you really start to see how much goes on away from the puck that you know you might not catch if you're a newer uh viewer to the sport so yeah i i love that um suggestion from you there rj 
Yep. Uh, and then on to the third question here. We enjoy going to the public practice. I uh, love that term. Yep. I know uh, Andy, I would would use that a bunch. We, we definitely miss him. Uh, practice at KCI when we can. Uh, as great as it is to see the team up close, to observe them act a bit more casual and silly, and to see them with no expense involved, it does seem that we often see the same drills. I imagine that the real work occurs when the public or spies are not observing and that much of it occurs off the ice as well. Is that the case? Um, so they do have, the Kraken do have some practices that are open to the public. They also have some that are not open to the public, but those are open to media. So there's always going to be people or potentially spies. I mean, look, the 32 bar and grill is open. They've got those windows. Uh, there's always going to be potentially spies looking. Um, but that is really where the real on-ice work is done. I mean, there's some individual work on the ice that happens, um, you know, when the media is not always there, but that's kind of the bulk of drills that you see. And it is a lot of similar things, but you know, the reason it is that way is because they kind of have basic stuff that they need to drill down and just get reps and reps and reps and reps to reinforce it. Um, there's not a whole lot that goes on, you know, when, so when nobody is watching, except I guess the off ice stuff, which, you know, the, the team video meetings, the strategy, all that kind of stuff, you know, we don't ever get to see that, but there is a lot of that that goes on. But as far as working on the ice, you know, somebody's usually watching. Yeah, the, the video stuff will definitely all take, you know, place behind the scenes, drawing up plays, all that kind of stuff, diagramming, all of that uh, takes place separately. There's not a huge concern for spies, at least not during the regular season, because at any given time, you're only going to face, you know, even a team in your division, maybe four times in a year out of an 82 game schedule. So even if, say, you, you're developing a new power play look, right? The team that you're playing in the next game, it's one of 82. It's not of that much importance. Uh, it, once you debut it, everybody's going to see that you're doing it anyway. They're going to watch the game tape of it, so you don't have to worry too much. I do know, um, like in the past, some teams have, have kind of tried to make it more secret during the playoffs because then you're playing the same team over and over. If you are developing something new, you want that to, you know kind of still have the element of surprise because it's the playoffs, everything's more important. And like I said, you're really you're playing the same team. So information becomes a lot more important than it is in the regular season when you might only be playing this team twice all year out of 82 games. Uh, so like I know in the past, like the Anaheim Ducks, RJ, just because they're more so who I've been around. Um, they would always have like open practices at the, at the rink. Anybody could just look through the window and watch any of the regular season practices. Playoffs come around, those windows are blacked out. <laughs> and things were yep. very different. Uh, I don't know if the crack could do something similar with like 32 bar and grill or not, but really until the playoffs roll around, teams aren't too worried about anything. I do remember in the playoffs last year, the Kraken did have 32 bar and grill. The, the, um, the gate thing was down. You couldn't get in there. And so there was a little bit more secrecy during those playoff yeah. practices and not all of them were open to the public either. So, you know, that is kind of how it goes in the playoffs. So thank you for those three questions, mm -hmm. Shannon, really appreciate it. And thank you again for the kind note. Uh, that was really nice of you. So moving on to some trade deadline related questions, we got a lot of these and I mean, of course, right. The deadline's yep. coming up. It's that time of year. So let's just dive right into those. Uh, first one here from Gary, we've been hearing lots of names thrown around for possible trade targets for other teams if acquiring that star player the team is lacking who is who on your kraken who sorry who is on your kraken list of untouchable players going the other way so who who <laughs> dylan i know you you have an answer for this uh, as far as untouchable players yeah. Who, who do you think? Yeah. So, th I mean, this this might be a little bit of a cop out, and I, I I'll give a real answer in a sec here, Gary. But uh, as far as the list of like untouchable players, 
like over half of this roster has some form of modified no trade or no move clause. So there's a lot of players that in some ways are just untouchable given their contracts. And it doesn't even have to deal with the details of the contract. It's just a clause in their contract. Uh, so I'll just quickly like kind of name the situations there. Full no move for, for Jaden Schwartz. Schwartz would have to waive his no move to go anywhere. Uh, so there's there's that one. There's a full no trade for Jamie Alexiak and for Philip Grubauer. So again, to be traded, they would have to waive those. And then when it comes to modified no trade clauses, and this would this is usually they provide a list of X amount of teams that they would not accept a trade to. That's uh, usually how this goes. You've got Andre Burakovsky, Jordan Everly, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, Jared McCann, Alexander Wenberg, Brandon Tanev. Adam Larson, Brian Dumoulin, Justin Schultz, and Chris Drieger. So there's a lot of guys that are untouchable just because their contracts make them untouchable. They have specific clauses in their contracts to make them untouchable. But I have a feeling, Gary, you were probably asking, like, who would we not want to see leave? Uh, I'm guessing that's more along the tone. And just from, like, the main roster... I mean, I, I think Oliver Bjorkstrand is fantastic. I'd want to keep him. Yanni Gord, Jared McCann, Matty Beniers, right? Like these these would be the guys for me, RJ, that I think would be the most untouchable up front. And then on the back end, Vince Dunn, Adam Larson, and Brian Dumoulin would probably be the three there. Right. If a star player is coming back the other way, because in that case, I do have to be a little more accepting of maybe moving yeah. some of these guys. Um, I Matty Beniers... And Jared McCann are the only two that I would not move if a star was coming back the other way. Uh, and then, yeah, Vince Dunn, even, I don't know, if you if a real star forward was available, I feel like there's there's other things you could do to shore up the blue line. Dunn is really important, but if that's what you have to do, uh, he wouldn't be untouchable for me. I, I could see that. I mean, and I'd add Shane Wright, you know. I know. In the organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking, looking past that, I think Shane Wright gets added there, Riker Evans. Well, star player maybe for Riker Evans. That's what it would take. I would do it. You would need a top yeah, that's prospect. That's what it would take, yeah, but I would, would do it. Yeah. Um, Vince Dunn, we just haven't talked about this. I, sorry to go on a tangent, RJ, here. I'll, I'll keep it brief. But Vince Dunn has really surprised me this year. We talked a lot about last year and whether he was for real, right, with the step forward that he took last year. And I think he's proven this year that he is. I think he really is kind of turned into that defenseman that can play half a game when the Kraken need to. He's, he's contributing offensively um, in a big way. And... Outside of Brian Dumoulin, like he's probably their best defensive defenseman right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. No, he is. He's proven he's absolutely for real. And we had questions with that contract. He is certainly playing up to it and more. So it's not even a an issue with Vince Dunn necessarily. It's more my philosophy on kind of positional scarcity and whatnot. Yeah. If there's a star forward, I would do it. But nothing against Dunn himself. Yeah, yeah. It's because you play forward is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, forward union yeah, yeah famously sticks together i yeah, guess yeah, yeah no I, I just i'm just teasing no good good question though yep all right next question uh from my dad actually uh the kraken are healthy and built for the playoffs all we need is a star forward with all the chips we hold is there really no creative secret deal to be made prior to the deadline is there no joe thornton out there for us somewhere now good question dad um i mean i remember i was on the couch with you watching a sharks game as a surprise joe thornton trade dropped mid-season and turns out they acquired a a future hall of fame player for three kind of you know mad parts and it was a fantastic trade set the franchise up for over a decade is there is there any possible trade for the kraken right now that that could be like that i don't think so i just i do not see the option or anybody who could be out there that would that would be that way no i mean there's a reason it's it's still like 
the Joe Thornton trade, right? Like it's it's talked yeah. about around the league still as like that trade uh, because it just doesn't happen that often, right? That you that you end up with somebody who kind of surprisingly becomes available, hush hush behind the scenes, um, and then ends up getting moved for you know certainly what what turned into a steal, right? If you're the Sharks. Um, I guess the closest thing that that's happened more recently would be the Jack Eichel situation, right? You have a star I compared player compared to the Thornton trade at the time. Yeah, yeah, we did, and and you have a star player who, for whatever reason, it's just that it cannot stay with their current organization, and so they have to be moved. And you know, I think everybody would say it's been a steal for Vegas, right? At this point, in fact, you and I, this was right around like the expansion draft for the Kraken when, when Jack Eichel was available and you and I talked about the Kraken should leverage whatever they could at the draft and the expansion draft to trade for Jack Eichel and start the franchise off with a star uh, just because this doesn't happen. Like, like it was 20 years between Joe Thornton and Jack Eichel being available. Um, so it's just a, it's an extremely rare thing. And certainly looking around the league right now, given how many teams are in it, this is, you know, part of the product of half of the teams making the playoffs every year. You, you just need somehow a guy to line up where they're in their prime. The team needs to rebuild. It makes sense for them to move on. But when you look at half the teams making the playoffs and always being constantly in a playoff position, nobody really decides to do that anymore. Yeah, no, they 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 really don't. I mean, it just doesn't come around very often. I remember I did a, a written article with a Jack Eichel trade proposal <laughs> at the time, and I actually just looked at back and found it. Um, so for the Sabres, going to the Kraken would be Jack Eichel and Kyle Ocposo as their expansion draft pick. So you pass on Will Borg and you take on that contract, which is a kind of a bad contract at the time. I find this amusing, though, what I had going back to Buffalo. Jake Bean, assuming they picked him yeah. in the expansion draft. This is before the expansion draft, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Uh, Aiden Hill, who assuming would be an expansion uh, yeah. pick there, and Travis Dermott, thinking maybe they get him from Toronto, mm -hmm. plus the Kraken's first round pick. So that turned into Matty Beniers. It was before the lottery, though, so I had it projected as the third pick. Yeah. And then like Montreal's first rounder, 17th overall, figured they could get that in some kind of side deal. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my my offer. Two firsts, Jake Bean, Aiden Hill, and Travis Dermott. That would have been competitive with what Vegas ended up giving up. So yeah, it, yeah, it could have, could have tuck Krebs in a first, yeah, two firsts, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's competitive. I mean, gosh, what a what an interesting alternate history. Kraken don't yeah. have Matty Beniers, but they have Jack Eichel. Yeah. Like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is, looking around the league, you and I have looked, just to real quickly do this, I think the one situation that could happen, but you'd need Barzal to, to be on board, would be Matt Barzal in, um, uh, with the Islanders. It's an aging team. It's a team that's not really going to go anywhere for a while now. He's 26. You got to wonder if at some point he just says, okay, I don't, you know, I don't want to end up being 31 on the other side of this rebuild. Uh, maybe can you send me somewhere? But you need him to be on board. And, and there hasn't been any indication that he's been on board with that. Otherwise, I mean, you know, Pedersen's name has been out there in trade rumors, maybe, but... But the Canucks would never trade him yeah. to Seattle. It would have to be an offer sheet, and that would be a whopper of an offer sheet. Yeah, so it's it's a tough one. I guess the closest thing would be Trevor Zegras. We know Anaheim... It's, the, the situation there, the, the relationship has deteriorated. We know at some point Zegras is going to be moved out of Anaheim. I, I think he's probably the closest you get, but he's not like... He's a star player, but he's not like a dynamic superstar player where he can change the fate of a franchise on his back. 
Right. He's he, he would help the Kraken, but he's not exactly what they need. He's certainly not. It's not a Joe Thornton trade at all. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So next question here from Jeff. Uh, forgive me for asking, and I hate myself for asking, but since we're all struggling to figure out how the Kraken can find a frontline star, given we don't have a top three draft pick anytime soon, and get a lot of these questions based on just how do we acquire the star <laughs> player, right? Uh, what would Joey fetch in a trade? That's an interesting question, and I, 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 it, it's a really interesting question because obviously, if you look at the future of the Kraken in net, I mean, Grubauer is not going anywhere for a while, right? Like he's he's locked up; he's got several years left on his contract. It's a contract that wouldn't be like easy to trade. And then again, he's one of the he's got a full no trade clause too, so you'd have to be on board with it as well. But you're looking at three years after this one, still a Philip Grubauer's contract, and it's a it's it's a big enough contract too that you got to assume they might not be able to keep Joey forever, right? If they have to pay Joey what he's worth. Um, I mean, right now he's like a top five goalie in the league, RJ, on a very reasonable deal that you could even retain off of, right? You could retain mm -hmm. half of Joey Decord. He becomes a $600,000 cap hit Less for some team. Less than league minimum. And they'd get a top five goaltender. I got to think teams like New Jersey that desperately need goaltending help, RJ, would be willing to give up a lot for him. Yeah, I think so. Look, goalies generally don't fetch a whole lot in terms of return for trades, even elite goalies with a pedigree years long. I think you probably look at the equivalent of like a first round pick. So not enough to really bring in a star player by itself. And then also, you know, our team's going to look at the fact that I I'm worried that Joey's got a little burnt out. He played a mm -hmm. lot of games. He's starting to, you know, he just had his worst game of probably his NHL career last game. Uh, I think teams would be worried that, okay, he's already played too many games this season. He might not help us a ton for a playoff run just because he's so tired. Uh, you know, what do you really do with that? So uh, I think first round pick is probably the optimistic equivalent for a return. Um, but goalies just never go for as much as you think they will. No, they don't. I, I think you could get a first round pick from a desperate enough team. But it, you know, again, you, you need the team to be desperate. Yeah. So, and goaltending is just so weird too. You know, he has... This is his only season in the NHL, you know, with these kind of numbers, you know, I think teams would want to see a little bit more of a, of a background there before they gave up big assets for him. So probably not the, the path to get a star player. Definitely. Um, next question here for uh, from DJ Singletone. If the Kraken do end up selling, which young player would you want them to get back? So I kind of throw this to you, Dylan, first, because you're more the expert on younger guys. Um, and and you, if they do end up selling, you know, you can go for draft picks. But you can also go for young prospects because those are players these teams are willing to move. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone that kind of makes sense for you? Say, I don't know, maybe Edmonton, New York Rangers, what some of the other teams that are in rumors? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because a lot of times teams, they're, they're much more willing to give up a draft pick than they are a prospect. Right. So it's a lot easier. Like, you know, if they've already done the work and they managed to hit on this guy in the second round and he looks like he's going to be a star you don't you don't give that up right like you it's a known quantity versus an unknown quantity so you're obviously going to give up the unknown quantity uh first it's it's really tough because there's just so many so many options i don't know that those two organizations entirely have somebody that i'd be super interested in if i'm the kraken that i think could be available right because that's the other thing you're talking about a trade deadline piece that's maybe worth a first-ish rounder, but it's going to be a late first rounder or really a second rounder. So you'd have to look at prospects of equivalent value. And, and 
I, I don't know. I think I'd rather just the Kraken use their scouting and analytics department to make a pick with the pick straight up rather than bring somebody in. Right. And and the picks also just remain currency for whatever you want to do this yeah. off season. I think you, you tend to get better value that way, yeah. unless there's a prospect that a team is kind of pressured into moving, you know, I mean, Cutter Goche is a high end example yes. of it. But otherwise, you know, that's that's kind of a rare situation, yeah. but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, it's like the star players once they've established, right? The the Eichel Thornton thing. Like how often does a Cutter Gauthier situation develop? Not it's often. There's a reason it's <laughs> gonna be called the Cutter Gauthier thing for a long time, like before the next one. <laughs> so it's one of those like they, they might have actually missed that window already, uh, with Cutter Gauthier going to the ducks. Yep. So, all right. Last question on the deadline stuff here. This one from Leo. And we actually have a question about buying here. Uh, so should the Kraken add an actual center to play fourth line if Ron Francis decides to make a push for the playoffs? If they did so, who should that target be and how much should we give up? So, um, you know, I'll, I'll start by talking about, look, the, the Kraken don't have a proper fourth line center right now. They've got Ty Karchi and Kyler Yamamoto switching between yeah. them, you know, th th that spot. And um, yeah, if you were looking to make a long playoff run, that's probably an area you look to shore up. But they're seven points out of a playoff spot right now. Chances are they're not going to be a whole lot better off than that by the deadline. Um, I, I, given the setter market too, look, you've got Nick Dowd potentially going for a first round pick if you listen to the latest rumors. Kraken don't want any part of that market, I think. Um, I think you just got to stay away and, and deal with what you have. You've got Belmar too, right? Like you, you've got Belmar, you've got uh, Shore, you could call up from Coachella Valley if you needed to. Like you could enter the postseason. And, and really, we know once the playoffs hit, ice time changes. Right. And the, and the top groups are going to be getting more ice time. You're going to be looking at a fourth line center who's probably going to be playing under 10 minutes a game. I think Belmar can still do that, especially because he has missed a lot of the regular season. I got to imagine he'd be fresher for a, a postseason run. So I think he brings anything that you would be looking for to kind of stabilize things down the middle. If you're the Kraken, just in the sense that ultimately what you'd be looking for is just face offs. And we know he can bring you that. Uh, so I think they actually kind of already have the guy on the roster in Belmar. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it, look, you can get an upgrade for a fourth line center and have someone who can be a difference maker in that spot. It's going to be prohibitively expensive, though, if you want someone like that. The Kraken just aren't in that position right now. Yeah, you'd be looking at a Nick Dowd type. And and it's also more of the same, too, because like the Kraken already have too many centers that are focused defensively. And that's usually what the fourth line's going to do. Like I said, you're not looking for like a fourth line scoring center who's going to play nine minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, you're not. It's just, yeah, that's not what teams do. So, um, yeah, I just don't think it's in the cards right now. And I will add, this question was asked before the uh, the Minnesota game as things were looking maybe a little bit more optimistic. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's that as well. All right, moving on to some other uh, non-deadline related questions. This one talks about the playoffs. This one from Aaron. If the Kraken make the playoffs, who would be the best matchup for them? This is a fun question. I like thinking about this. I have a very clear answer, Dylan. Then go for it. It's Vancouver, I, the team they just played a couple games ago. Probably their most likely opponent if they do sneak into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Kraken looked fantastic against them. The Canucks, I still think, are a flawed team. You know, they are a beatable team, you know, and they're bound to cool off at some point, too. I, I think if the Kraken do sneak into the playoffs, play the Canucks in the first round, I think they'd win. I think they'd have a real good shot. 
I, I the more I think about it too, I think Vancouver's going to lose in the first round. Unless they play like St. Louis or something. I don't like their odds against LA if that's where it ends up going. Mm -hmm. I think the Kings could beat them. And I don't like their odds against Minnesota if Minnesota catches fire and gets that last spot. I think, you know, they could stand toe-to-toe with Vancouver. I mean, they had that seven to ten game recently, but I will not use the term I used to describe the Colorado Avalanche in the past. <laughs> but um I don't know. I think Vancouver is the opponent you want. I, I agree with you. For whatever reason, the Kraken have played Vancouver pretty well throughout the course of this year too, right? Both both in Vancouver and in Seattle. And so I, it does give me a lot of confidence there. Certainly more confidence than, say, a Vegas, Edmonton, L.A., Colorado, uh, Dallas, right? Like we know kind of what their matchups are there. I'm not a huge believer in Winnipeg. I think that's that's a situation that's bound to fall apart at any given time. So I might throw them into the conversation with Vancouver, but I am with you. I think for whatever reason, the Kraken always find a way to just get up for those games against Vancouver. And that's what you want. And I think I, I maybe I wouldn't go as far as to say like, oh yeah, it would be a win for the Kraken. But I think that series is a lot more 50-50 than really it would have any right of being. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's that's kind of my argument, right? And the season series, I think, does tell you a lot. That's what I was banking on with Colorado, where I thought, hey, this might actually be a good matchup last year for them. And, and you know, they're two and one against Vancouver this year in the regular season. So I think that could be a good one. Also, the rivalry, Dylan. It would be so that much That would fun. make it a real rivalry. It would. For sure. If the Kraken won, the Canucks wouldn't get over that for no. many years. No. Even just pushing them to seven it's something that they would remember for a long time. It's true. It's true. And would also really decrease any kind of cup chances they have. If you can yes. push a team then when they the lose, first round. When they lose in five games in the second round, they will be blaming Seattle for taking them to seven in the first. Yep. Wearing them out. So I, that'd be so fun. Be that, that's really what I want out of this season. It would be so um, much fun. All right. Uh, next question from Juan the Baker. How do you feel about Riker Evans usage this season? Am I justified in being frustrated by his lack of playing time? So that is an interesting question. And it's something that, you know, there's certainly been rumblings around the media scene around, okay, he's just a scratch and a scratch and a scratch. You know, when does he get in the lineup? And is this detrimental for him? Because you kind of look at it both ways. You know, he, he obviously needs games at some point to get those reps in and to continue developing. But also, he's accomplished a lot of what you can accomplish at the AHL level. And he gets to work with Jay Leach, fantastic mm -hmm. defense coach. He's worked with guys like Will Borgen in the past when they were scratches for a long time. Which way do you go on this one, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'll start off with this. When he plays, I love his usage, right? Like, they give, oh, him, yeah. a, they give him a <laughs> lot of ice time. He gets 19 uh, minutes, 16 seconds. When he's in, he gets special teams usage. I love his usage when he plays. So when he's in the lineup, the usage is fantastic. Exactly what you'd want from kind of, you know, your best defensive prospect there like that, or the you know furthest one along anyway. Um, as for when he's not playing, right now I'm, I'm okay with him not playing up until the deadline because I know you have the situation with Justin Schultz. And will they, won't they sell him at the deadline? He's a pending unrestricted free agent. Also, you're in this middle of like it's desperation time and you kind of, you know, need as many points as possible. And I could understand a coach making the argument that Schultz is then the safer pick for something like that over a, a more unproven rookie. If we get past the deadline and Schultz is still around, because obviously if he gets traded, Riker's in the lineup, we never even think about this again, right? And and we barely remember that it even happened at that point. But if Schultz is still on the team after the deadline, 
and Schultz continues to play over Riker down the stretch and the Kraken are out of it, then I really have a problem with it. Because what? why? You've got a guy who's an unrestricted free agent who will be leaving so that Riker Evans can take his spot. Like, we you know that. Uh, why wouldn't you want to give the reps to Riker Evans at that point? You know, you don't have to worry about burning an ELC here or anything like that. There's no reason to not do it at that point. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it for now. But post-deadline, I think we got to see Riker Evans one way or the other. Yep, I'm in complete agreement with you. We'll we'll see when the deadline comes, but if Schultz is going to still get those minutes, those games after the deadline, send Riker down, bring another reserve defense, and bring up a Kale Flurry or whoever else you want to just be sitting there in the press box because Riker's got to play games at some point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, uh, next question from Lena here. What's the biggest thing missing from the team this season to be a cup contender? Or if you got to design the ultimate Kraken playoff run for them to win it all, what would it look like when, with which players, which opponents? So that's a big question. I'm going to kind of just limit it to this season. When, why not right now? Because that'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, which players? These ones, the ones they have. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe just uh, trade for a Sprong, Donato, you know, the guys <laughs> we miss. Blackwell, Helberg, bring in, you know, all those guys at the deadline uh, that we really miss. And which opponents, though? That's the part of this question I really want to zero in on. Which would be... The, what would be the most fun path to a, a Stanley Cup win, Dylan, opponents-wise? Right. Well, we already started this off, right? Vancouver round one, right? Kraken makes For the second sure. wild card spot. Vancouver's the first seed. You go, you deal with Vancouver, you get out of Vancouver. We, Like we said, it's possible. It's like actually possible that that could, that could happen. Next, though, you're locked into the Pacific bracket at that point. So you're facing whoever would win the battle between Vegas and Edmonton, RJ. This is where it gets tough because they're both teams that have had our number for a while. They're fan bases that annoy Kraken fans and us, right? Like, like it's a lot. But I think if if I think if you could, like, you'd probably rather want Edmonton. I know historically it's bad, but just because, like, if you the Kraken have at times done a good job of shutting down McDavid and Drysital, and then you maybe just hope that like Zach Hyman's burned out at that point. <laughs> I'm going to disagree. I'd, I would want Vegas. I think you have the defending cup champs. If you can take them down again in this scenario, they're winning the cup Dylan. It's which opponent would you enjoy beating the most? All right. That's Vegas true. for me for sure. Especially being the defending champs. And especially if they could just knock off Edmonton and, and McDavid and everything too, coming off a big win like that, humble them, go on to the Western conference final. And then at that point, who would you want to play of those, those, which team could come out of the central bracket? Uh, Colorado for all of those sweet sweet avalanche fan tears if we're if, yeah again if, if we know the Kraken are winning yeah yes I'm with you Vegas it's Vancouver Vegas Colorado just piss off all the fan bases that don't like us already and it would just be fantastic yep I, I'm I'm agreed with you there now the, the real fun part onto the cup final who would you want to beat in the cup final? The Toronto Maple Leafs, RJ. They get back There's to a no cup final, answer. finally, and then you 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 dash their dreams. It would be spectacular. Yeah, the most recent franchise, too. Beating them to a cup in yep. that cup final, definitely. So I, I think we're pretty, you know, agreed aside from the second round here, but we got Vancouver, Vegas, or Edmonton, depending on if you like Dylan's or my answer better, Colorado, and then Toronto. Like that I said, I even changed my answer to yours, so it's not even Edmonton. Like I said, I forgot okay. that winning is a foregone conclusion. <laughs> I was thinking yes. of like how it could happen, uh, but if you, if it doesn't matter, if it's magic that's happening, then it, we're all good. Yeah. As so, so thank you, Lena, for allowing us to get into this fantasy world. It, it's it's fun thinking about it. 
Yeah. I was just going to say real quick, as for like when it could, when this could situation could eventually de- develop, we'll talk more about that next week when we do yes. <laughs> more of that long-term look at everything. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, dive deeper into the, the more realistic uh, aspects of it there. Uh, but good question there, Lena. Thank you for letting us uh, you know, have some wish fulfillment here. Um, next question uh, from Chuck. While the Kraken often work on power play and penalty kill in practice, I can't remember seeing them work on making or preventing the zone entry in those situations. It seems like they often have trouble with the power play zone entry in games. Do you see them practice this aspect, RJ? Um, yeah, so this is, of course, more of a question for me since I'm at the practices. Uh, yes, I do. They, they will practice the zone entries on the power play and, and by extension, the penalty kill. You got the power play guys practicing on their side, the PK on their side. Yes, they do. They'll, they'll often have it go when it comes out of the zone, they'll regroup, they'll try and reload and practice that. It's not every time, usually in morning skates, you won't see it as much because you just have very limited time to get in and just get a few reps in. Um, but in longer form practices, they do work on that. Also, they've especially recently been working a lot more on those kind of reloads and re-entering the zone, whether it's power play or five on five at practices they've had during this homestand. So yes, they do put work into it. They do get those reps in. It's just usually not morning skate. So if you, you know, the difference between a morning skate and a practice, morning skates in the morning before a game or sorry, morning of a, of a game, um, they tend to not work on it as much, but longer practices they do. Yeah. And I mean, I'm having flashbacks to year one, RJ, where every practice was just zone entries. Like that's, yeah. that's, I think, I don't know that they ever did anything else year one, but just zone entries. Um, so yeah, no, they, they definitely work on that kind of stuff. It's, you know, you could work on it a, a lot. Game situations will always be different. Um, but yeah, no, they, they definitely work on it. Yep. Uh, next question from Tyler here, and I have prepared for this ahead of time, so it doesn't scare you, Dylan. Uh, using only current players under contract and prospects, what would be your projected 2025-2026 lineup? Yeah. So you want me to handle this one? Yeah, well, I mean, you, certainly you could start here as I, yeah. as I pull up cap friendly and see who's even under contract there. Right. So using players under contract and I'll count, you know, the RFAs here too. can't do a full lineup because there's definitely some holes that need to be filled here. Um, we'll start net out. Uh, Grubauer is the only goalie under contract <laughs> yeah. at that point. Uh, so he'll be there. Um, and then I guess, you know, Joey is currently under contract, but there's a whole bunch of questions there. I think they might have to go cheaper in net as far as a backup. I don't know that Coco will be ready by that point mm-hmm. on defense. Uh, under contract, you've got Dunn and Alexiak. So, you know, those two could be part of it. Uh, Riker Evans, you know, he'll need a new deal, uh, yeah. but he'll be part of that blue line as well. And then really the only other guy I see that they currently have that, you know, that that's under contract at that point, Vili Atavainen, you know, mm-hmm. he hopefully should be playing NHL minutes at that point. But, you know, guys like Larson, Borgen, you know, Dumoulin almost certainly won't be on the team at that point. Uh, there are going to be some spots to fill on defense. Um and I don't know that Ty Nelson will be ready by that point. I, Caden Price might be. Caden Price Caden might Price? Be. I think yeah. Caden Price could be a, a part of that. If we're looking two years down the line, I think Caden Price could. And Ty Nelson, if they needed like a secondary, I, I could see Ty Nelson being the seventh guy. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then as far as the forward group, uh, of course, you got Matty Veneers. He'll need a new deal. You got Shane Wright uh down the middle mm-hmm. um you know gord's contract is up so you know that's iffy and then you know fourth line center who knows uh burkovsky's still there bjorkstrand's still there schwartz is still there uh and jared mccann is there under contract um guys who will need a new deal but i could see still being there is like ellie tolvanen mm-hmm. uh ty Karche, 
you know, th those guys. Um, Ryan Winterton should certainly be a regular yep. at that point, I would think. Uh, and then Dylan, I'll kind of throw it over to you for other guys you could see being on the team as far as forwards, maybe like a Melanson or a Logan Morrison. Uh, maybe Logan Morrison. I, I think you could maybe see something like that. Um, Monson, I'm still not sold on. I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't okay. know that I ever will be. Um, I think at that point you're looking at Chalet too. Like that could be his, his rookie year. I could see him in there in the middle six um, as, as maybe his first year. Uh, you look at next year, maybe he's able to play at the Coachella Valley level and then he comes in. That would be a pretty standard um, trajectory too for like a, you know, pick 20. Right. You know, it yep. takes, takes about two years to get to the NHL level. I could certainly see them giving him a cup of coffee at the beginning of the year to see if, if, he, if he's up for it or not. Um, so I think Chalet is there. I think Goyette could be there as, uh, you know, a fourth line center kind of thing. I think he's he's projected to be a bottom six center for me uh, for the Kraken. So I think Goyette could be part of this group uh, underneath uh, Maddie and Shane Wright there. And I think Yanni Newman would be ready to go. Probably like in a third third line capacity, and then a you know a power play specialist. But I, I think he would definitely be ready at that point. Just given obviously he's already got the physical maturity and everything, but he should have a year again of of time in Coachella Valley, learn the North American game, work on his skating. Hopefully with Jess Campbell down there, <laughs> Coachella Valley get get that up to speed. Um, but I think Yanni Newman would be in there. I know people are gonna want me to mention Jagger Furcus. I don't Too far see out. I don't see it. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, it'll, it'll take a while for him, I think, just to adjust to the size of the game. He'll need some time in Coachella Valley. Uh, but what this does tell us is there are a lot of bottom six roles, I think, that could be filled by prospects coming yes. up in a couple years time. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you've got Tucker Robertson, too, who could totally come in and kind of be like a Brandon Tanev replacement, just, you know, PK specialist who can play on the fourth line and just bring some energy night in night out like the Kraken the one thing their prospect pool really shows is that they have a lot of guys that can be NHL players it's just about where they kind of fit in and yeah I think a lot of them realistically are upside of middle six most likely bottom six forward guys yeah no I, th I think that makes sense so uh Final question before we get into the prospect section of this, because there were a lot of prospect questions as well. Uh, this one from Viren. Uh, what does it mean when people say a player is playing X line minutes for various values of X? Is it about absolute or relative numeric ice time, quality of competition, where they appear on the lineup projections, or more succinctly, how do I look this up? Um, so, you know, there there can be kind of varying definitions. And actually, I, I ran into this when I was talking with a, a fantasy hockey podcast early this season, where they were asking about Matty Beneers, like, will he ever play first line minutes? And there was kind of a misunderstanding because I'm like, well, if you look, he's already playing first line minutes. He's he's their top uh, ice time player of, of any of their forwards this season. You know, he's on, you know, basically the first line. But like, no, 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 actual like 20 minutes a night real first line deployment like what you see around the league and so there there can kind of be different definitions of this um i know like because dylan on the player cards for jfresh and stuff it'll say like usage right and it'll give a line i think you know uh, that's basically just raw minutes right that yeah. it's used to determine that i i think so you would know better than i but i i that's my understanding mm -hmm. of it okay so yeah that's basically and as far as how do you look this up is I feel like you're usually the expert on that by <laughs> um, on looking things up. Um, I mean, ice time, of course, is easy enough to look up. But as far as comparing it with players around the league and kind of separating into the strata, first line, second line, third line, 
I'm trying to think of how you do that. Well, I think it's I think it could just be as simple as like a, a direct comparison, right? Like you look at the Kraken and forward wise, their their most used forward this year has been Wenberg, eighteen forty two, Yanni Gord getting seventeen forty five, Maddie Beniers getting seventeen forty one. Um, you know, just just pick a team, RJ, like like that has like a really defined first, second third line setup right and then you just go and, and we can just look at their ice time you know I, I think of like a I don't know Colorado Colorado or Florida right yeah Colorado might be be better right because they have a very defined first line group there Nathan McKinnon 23 minutes right Miko Ronson in yeah. 23-19 uh Nichushkin 21-49 you know those guys are their first line and then you start looking at their guys getting 17 minutes, which would be comparable to Yanni Gord or uh, Maddie Beniers, or even really closer to Wenberg than McKinnon and stuff. And that's like Jonathan Drouin, um, players like that. You know, you've got Ross Colton down at 14, right? Third line center, right? Getting 14 minutes. I feel like this is a much more traditional um, approach for a lot of teams. But I think just the, the one-to-one comparison of just looking at the ice time, the fact that the Kraken three top centers all have within a minute of each other versus these other teams where you have almost 10 minutes separating Nathan McKinnon and Ross Colton. Yeah. It's a highly unusual distribution. What, what Dave Haxtell has gone with historically and Wenberg yet yeah, top ice time forward on the Kraken 70th in the league. So, you know, if yeah. you just average that out, think, you know, even the guy who's last, uh, the last of the team should be 32nd, but no, he's 70th in the NHL and average ice time among forwards. So I guess, yeah, that just that direct comparison. I think that's a good answer there, Dylan. Yeah. And, you know, you got Ryan Johansson, maybe he's the third line center, but he's getting like 13 minutes in Colorado. So like it's, you yeah. know, it, it shows like you, you have definite defined roles there. Yeah, definitely. All right. So moving on to some, uh, we'll close it off with some prospect related questions. I, I know you're getting excited for this, Dylan. Uh, first one is from Gaby. Uh, next year in Coachella Valley, we'll get Ferky Serky, Dave and Buster's Goyette, Ty Nelson, and potentially Yanni Newman, Edward Chalet. And probably too early, but perhaps Oscar 90.3 Radio FM. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. Uh, Who do you think is most likely to impress in their first Coachella Valley year and how so? Yeah, so it is definitely an interesting question. I think the the player who's best suited to just hit the ground running and and his game's not going to have to change and he can just come in and do his thing and what his thing is will earn him ice time right away is going to be David Goyette. He's he is built. He's ready for uh, the AHL. He's going to be a fantastic AHL player. I think, like I said, he's going to be a great bottom six center for an NHL team in the future uh, just because he he plays, you know, a, a dynamic game. He can bring some offensive upside, but just his understanding of everything is two way play the way he can play through the neutral zone. It just works. Uh, with Coachella Valley and how they play. So Goyette's going to hit the ground running there. Um, I think Yanni Newman has by far and away the most upside just because, I mean, we see him. He's in the top leaders for uh, goal scoring in Liga, which is no joke of a league over there in Finland. Um, If he's able to replicate that success while adjusting to the North American game, he's going to score a ton uh, at the AHL level. He will be a big factor in that, but I still have skating concerns for him. 
I mean, I still don't like the fact that he bends at a 90 degree angle at his waist when he's skating around on the ice. Like it's, it's a concern, but if he's able to work on that and, um, you know, hit his upside, his upside's probably the highest Jagger Furcus. I'm still, the questions remain not just about the size, but also the fact that he's going to have to adjust his game. He will be now the, the little fish in a big pond instead of the big fish in the little pond, the way he is right now, he's going to need to find ways of surviving um, and and being able to go to the places on the ice that he wants to go to when he's facing guys that are realistically going to be 30 pounds heavier than what he's used to playing against right now because he's going to be playing against guys that are 28, 29 instead of 18, 19, right? They're just going to be physically more mature. They're going to handle him in a very different way from the way he gets handled right now. And then the speed too. He's not going to be able just to burn by guys as much as he he's able to at the WHL level. So I could see it being a long year for Jagger Fergus next year. Oscar Fisker-Mogard probably won't come over next year. I think he'd probably spend another year in Europe. Chalet, I think with the just the way the Kraken have managed things, I think given that he'll have another year of CHL eligibility and that his CHL year started off so rough uh, in Barrie, with not a lot of you know teammates around him, he wasn't really able to get going there, trade him to Kitchener, it's been a Kitchener decided to fall apart after that happened. Like everybody across the board decided to all fall apart around chalet there. I could see the Kraken organization maybe just being like, you know what? Why don't you spend another year in the OHL and just kind of dominate that league, get some confidence similar to the way that the Kraken handled Shane Wright this year, sending him to the AHL and just saying, you know what? Just dominate that league, build your confidence, work on these aspects of your game before you take that next step. So um, looking at those guys, that's kind of where I'm at with everybody. Good stuff. No notes. I mean, you kind of covered everybody there. Um, I, I just can't wait to see um, Newman, you know, work with Jess Campbell in the yes. skating department and maybe, you know, the, the hunched over department. Yeah. Um, those would be good. Uh, question, kind of similar question here from Daniel. Uh, the Kraken have many CHL prospects that are killing it up there right now. Of these prospects, which one is the most NHL ready and would have the greatest chance of skipping Coachella and being on the Kraken at the start of the 24-25 season? So that would be this coming season. Yeah, I guess the answer would be similar to to with the HL. It would be David Goyette. Like it's not going to happen for any of them. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I I I like hate, hate to be a downer or sound like a downer, but it's not going to happen for anybody. Uh if it didn't happen for Shane Wright and Ryan Winterton, it's not happening for anybody else. Um, but David Goyette would be the one just because he could come in, he could be a fourth line, a tr- more traditional ice time, fourth line center, get eight, nine minutes a night, uh, and he would take care of business for the Kraken there. If you needed him to, he could flex up onto special teams, but you know, realistically he wouldn't. Um, so Goyette, it's, it's, but in a not like super... I don't want to say relevant way, but like he's not going to have a huge impact if that was to happen. Um, but I think Goyette would be the guy. And then and then second would be Rykoff, just because he is probably uh, outside of Shane Wright amongst their forwards. The guy I most see built for a top six role in the NHL outside of Shane Wright and Ryan Winterton. But of the CHL guys, Rykoff is the standout uh, as far as a guy that I could see playing in the top six for the Kraken down the line. So if he was to come in, he's defensively responsible enough that if you needed to play him in the NHL, he wouldn't be a disastrous liability or anything for you. Um, so I think he would be the other one. 
Yeah, the upside is certainly there. Um, now, question from Michael. Hey, can you guys talk about the Firebirds a bit and who she who we should look out for beyond the main guys who go up and down? Sure, right, we all know, but who else should we keep an eye on for seasons ahead? So we talked a little about, about the junior prospects here, but in Coachella Valley, guys who are already there, and they do have a lot of younger players with some cracking mm -hmm. potential on that team. Beyond the main guys, Dylan, who would you look at? Yeah, so I'm assuming the main guys would be like Shane Wright, Talk about Shane Wright a lot. Yeah, she's a we, yeah, yeah, we know sure right, and I think we throw Winterton in that as well. Yeah, Winterton would is right there after Shane Wright as a guy that you know I've even gone on the board on the last prospect chat of saying I could see Shane Wright maybe I mean Ryan Winterton maybe you know having an outside look at making the Kraken next season. Um, I think Logan Morrison would be one to look at. I've really liked I really liked what I see from him the couple games that I've watched of the Firebirds. I'm starting to watch the Firebirds more here uh, recently. But I really like what Logan Morrison's been able to bring. I just think he he brings like a straightforward north south kind of game, and he the way he gets in on the forecheck, he he just he's useful. He's got enough skill that he can hang with other guys too. If you play him with more skilled forwards, he can be that guy to go in and dig the puck out of the corner for them, and then get the puck over to them and let them make a play, or he can clean up the garbage in and around the net. So I like Logan Morrison. When Tucker Robertson is there, he's currently back down with the Mavericks in the ECHL, but I like Tucker Tucker Robertson a lot, especially on special teams and the defense and everything. Um, I think he's good. That's that's mostly it, because a lot of the other guys are guys that we see, you know, they've made they've made appearances with the Kraken this year, right? Like John Hayden, Devin Shore, Student H. Uh, Cameron Hughes hasn't been called up. I don't know that I'd consider him a prospect. He's 27, but boy, is he fun to watch. Like, if you're going to oh, watch, yeah. like, single out one guy to watch during a Coachella Valley Firebirds game, and it's not Shane Wright, I would suggest it be Cameron Hughes, because he's just... He's so much fun. He's going to score a goal at some point just because he's going to, you know, get into a tussle with somebody just because like he's just he's just a fantastically fun player to watch. I really hope he stays with the Firebirds for as long as possible, because I, I just think he's he's a fantastic guy. Um, but a lot yeah. of the other ones, you know, McCormick, Podorowski, we, we see them kind of up and around the crack in a lot. Right. So uh, good. You've left a name for me. I'm, I'm excited mm -hmm. here. Um, and that's Billy Ottavainen. Yeah, um, he's a. Defensive defenseman, really big guy. If you had the chance to see him at training camp or in the preseason, he just towers over everybody not named Jamie Alexiak. Um, you know, huge defenseman. And, you know, he's not the kind of guy who's going to produce a ton of points at the NHL level, but he's actually getting better with the puck moving. Yep. He has 24 points in 48 games. That's, that's half a point per game. I'm surprised to see that kind of production from him at the AHL level. I mean, he's tied with Ryan Winterton in points on the season. Um, and I think he's just developing really nicely. He's the kind of player that I, I'd love to see in that Kraken development system, right? I think they're preparing him for maybe that bottom pairing role in the NHL that I could see him filling one day. Certainly, like once the Dumoulin contract is up, I could see him possibly stepping in on the third pairing there. Um, but he's, he's someone who excites me just, and he's got a bit of a mean streak too Yeah, with that size, which I do like to see. Yeah. And it's appropriate when he uses it too. It's usually just in and around defending his, his net. And it's like, that's yep. when you want it. Like that's the appropriate place to have it. But yes, he's actually filled in a lot for what they kind of lost with, um, Riker Evans in a fun way. Like, but yes, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like the eye test passes with, with him, uh, and moving the puck up the ice. He's really good at just, you know, puck gets on his stick in the defensive zone it's magically in the neutral zone next and he's really aggressive at holding the line offensively too um i think some of that's because his you know 
transitions for you know to to get back quickly might not always be there skating wise but he's he's pretty good at holding the line offensively and and that's fun to watch too especially for a guy of his size because you just don't see that very often right so we talked forwards we talked defense now let's talk goalies a little bit there's a question from cj with chris drieger gone next year what does our goalie prospect pipeline look like in the near term and does coco end up in coachella valley next year uh I don't know that we're going to see Coco with the Firebirds no. as soon as next year. Do you agree, Dylan? Yeah, I, I don't think that's happening. Yeah, and then really, if you look at the goalie pipeline, it's just him and Semyon Vyazovoy, which I don't even know kind of where he is right now. He's the, the one guy who hasn't yeah. come across for a dev camp. I think with any kind of Russian prospect like that, you certainly can't count on them coming to North America anytime soon, just given the, the geopolitical situation. So... Really, I think they're just going to have to find a couple vets to fill the net with the Firebirds. Yeah, that is that is the situation they're going to have to deal with. I mean, it's it's Coco and nobody else. As for as for Coco, no, I mean he this was his first year to really kind of establish himself at Liga, right at the Liga level, the adult level, uh, top, highest league in Finland. Um, it was his opportunity to establish himself at the World Juniors this year and that was a very mixed result. Um, he kind of lost the job and then regained it late um, but still walked away with a one and four record. Um, he struggled with his original team in Liga at Carpot, which is a goaltending factory like that is a team if you if you do well there, that says great things about you, but he struggled there. Two five and one record there. His, his numbers weren't fantastic. He's now been loaned out to the Pelicans, where things have definitely turned around for him. Um, so that you know, there's still the promise and all that stuff is there. But I just think because of the inconsistencies this year, both with the national team and at the legal level, he's going to need more time there before then making the transition and you know, flying halfway across the world and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a big jump to make for any goalie. Probably could use another year. So Dylan, we will close things out with a couple questions about none other than Shane Wright. Okay. Had to had to factor in here at some point, right? So I'll, I'll kind of you know read bits from from each question because I think they kind of relate to each other. We got one from Viren. Uh, Do you have an opinion on which, if any, of the current wingers are a good match stylistically for Wright? Is this something the team should be evaluating this year? Potentially using that information to determine who to sign, re-sign, or trade. Or should they prioritize st stability for him this year and worry about next year when it comes? And then Dre asking, if the season ends up being lost and they have to sell, do you see Wright getting an extended look for the final stretch as preparation for next season? Would you be okay if that extended look went beyond five games, burn the first year of his ELC? So basically, the questions are, you know, how to handle Shane Wright here. And with the end of the year, especially if the Kraken find themselves kind of out of it, you know, is it more valuable to get him that time in the NHL looking for potential fits as wingers or and potentially burning his ELC? Or do you just want to keep him in Coachella Valley the rest of the time? And is that more beneficial to him? Which way are you leaning, Dylan? Uh, as for that aspect of it, I think it's more beneficial to keep him in Coachella Valley. If there's like an injury pops up later, whatever, I would go ahead and I'd use the five games that you have before burning his ELC. But I would not burn his ELC for this year. I don't think it's worth it. I'd, I'd keep him focused with Coachella Valley. He's getting big minutes with Coachella Valley. I mean, they, they, there's games where I was watching um, getting tape for other guys and Shane Wright's pulling double duty at center, right? He's he's skating with the with the first line and the fourth line. So I think you want to keep him in that spot where he's building that confidence. He's he's just getting so many reps and reps are really what he needed after, you know, losing time due to COVID and then the situation that happened last year 
for him. You just need reps as a prospect. So I I would be very hesitant to burn the ELC. But like I said, situation arises. You've got like a guy's going to miss three or four games. Go ahead, call him up, reward him for what he's done at Coachella Valley, and then send him back down for the postseason run with the Firebirds. As for who like looks like they could really play with him and, and be good fits with him, um, I think of him and I think of him going down the middle, RJ. He likes to play in the slot, particularly in the low slot. Um, he likes to be hit with passes there as he as he first makes that move. So I think of guys that are good at passing. I think of Andre Burakovsky. I think he would be a good fit because he plays similar to Ryan Winterton uh, in the sense that he likes to make passes, but he likes to play just off to the side of the net, but in close. Right. Like we've seen him, yeah. right. He walks in, he gets closer to the crease, but he's still towards the outside. It's very similar to Ryan Winterton. And I think Ryan Winterton and Shane have developed a lot of chemistry doing that. And it helps out, you know, Shane, he wants to be net front and down low in the, in those areas. I think um, that would be beneficial for him. I think Bjorkstrand plays well with everybody. So I'd always recommend a Bjorkstrand on any young guy's line. Um, but I also think Jaden Schwartz for similar reasons. He could also pull off that kind of net side presence that could feed a lot lot of pucks to Shane Wright and put Shane Wright kind of in his wheelhouse in the slot there. So I think, you know, you just like we've been saying all along, the idea of Shane Wright stepping in and replacing uh, Alexander Wenberg, it just kind of works. Like I think, I think him with Berkey and, and Schwartz would actually work out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, one other name I'd add, I guess, while he's, when he's going is Jordan Everly. Like we, yeah. we've seen a lot of the playmaking from him too, as far as finding right in the high slot, like, yep. you know, he's really good with that. So, you know, not sure if he'll be on the team next year, but it's just, you know, one other name to mention. Uh, and also I would not burn his ELC. Absolutely not. Cannot afford it this year. My GM brain just alarms are going <laughs> off. Do not burn a year of his ELC. You will need it down the line uh, when you get into, you know, stickier cap situations. So um, that's the one thing I would not do with Shane Wright. Um, but it'll be fun to see the, the rest of his season, whether it's partly in Seattle or all in Coachella Valley. I mean, he's cooking right now. Well, Absolutely. I mean, I guess not. He's, he's been hurt. Yes. Well, now he's prior here, to that. Yes. Before that, he was everything was going great. Yeah, so I, that's it for the mailbag. Um, we, awesome. We've reached the bottom of the mailbag. I mean, given us certainly plenty of yeah. material to work with. Thank you so much to everybody who submitted a question. I mean, the, I just I love the you know all the feedback from everybody. Right? I knew as soon as we put that mailbag out there, we were going to get a lot of great stuff. And of course, you guys never disappoint. Nope, definitely not. Want to thank everybody uh, one more time. I know RJ just did it, but I'll do it too. Uh, thanks everybody for participating. Hopefully, we're able to answer all of your questions. We'll do another one of these, you know, yeah. in the in the near future, like we always do. Um, want to remind everybody if you had more like longer term uh, kind of questions going to be answered next week we're going to be doing the deep dive into the long-term potential futures that the kraken could have all of that kind of stuff and, and answer you know and look at the tough difficult questions around uh the ideas of a rebuild and all that kind of stuff will all be handled next week uh one more reminder for rj's g armchair gm chat on patreon on wednesday at seven again patreon.com slash emerald city hockey looking forward to that and then of course some love for the beer hall queen Anne beer hall for sponsoring this podcast again only a couple days left if you want that hunk of burn and love burger, the burger of the <laughs> month over at the beer hall, beer hall location. So I want to get that one out there and we will see everybody next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash Emerald City Hockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alaska Joe, Alex, Alvi, Andrew, Andrew, Anonymous, Anthony, Beef, 
Ben, Brad, Brian, Bryce, Burnt Krem, Caden, Kat, Kaylin, Chandler, Shazzle Dazzle, Chip, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, Corey, Danny39, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Evie99, Eli, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Empty Net Hockey, Ethan, Evan, Fusion Mix, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Helena, Habak, Jane, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Julia, Justin, Katie, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, L. Bell, Leanne, Levin, Light, Little Tennis Guy 8, Lonnie, Mac and Cheese, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Michigan Kraken, Nick, Night Drop, Noah, Nunya, Olivia, Paige, Patty, Paul, Ryan, Randall, Rebecca, Robert, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean, Sean, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Skeletal Tendency, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team 114 Chris, Ty, Virginia, Wendy, Where the Slovakians At, and Zoe. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 